It's me again. It's kind of like the Travis show today, right? Uh, my son is usually uh, the MC of this service, so he's gone for basic training. And uh, when he gets back, you'll see, you won't see me on during the uh, MC part. Hey, it is good to have you in church today. I'm glad you're here. I want to say something quickly, then we're going to dive into this last installment of this message. Whatever you did last week to help out with Easter, usually Easter uh, attendance doubles because a lot of people come to church. A lot of people are thinking about Easter. They're thinking about church. They're thinking about it, surrendering their lives to Christ. So whatever you did, whatever you did to help out with that, whatever you gave financially, whatever you did as far as serving, some of you served twice as much. Some of you served for the first time. Whatever you did to make a difference, thank you so much. We had almost 700 people here last week. And I know that we had... And, I, and it's not, I know it's not just about the numbers, but what happens is people come and they make eternal decisions based on what they encounter here at Faith Go Church and whatever church they go to. People show up at Easter and think because they're confronted by the resurrection of Christ. So whatever you did to help out, whatever you did to serve, thank you so much uh, from the bottom of my heart. Give yourself a hand. Well, you don't understand, Travis, I didn't do anything. Well, do something next year. Okay. All right, let me get busy with this. Let me get busy with it. Hey, we're concluding a series. Today we're kicking off a brand new series next month uh, called True Love. We're going to talk to the family in the month of May. But we're concluding a series, Struggle. And the idea is that nothing in life just happens. Anything fulfilling, anything worthwhile will come as a result of a struggle. And we've been talking about the last days, in fact, the last few hours of the life of Christ. We talked about his struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane that took him to the struggle of Golgotha, that took him to the struggle of the grave, and finally, that would lead him to the glory of the resurrection. Now, why are we doing that? Because in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, in the second verse, it says this. It says, look into Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. This, the, the, the writer of Hebrews was saying that he was talking to people that were going through some struggles, that were going through some trials, and he was saying this, anytime you're going through anything, always look to Christ, who is the founder of our faith. Our faith is based on Jesus, who actually went through something. The Bible says that the word, or Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and he also dealt with the same kinds of things that we dealt with. So with that in mind, the writer says this, he says, look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, God has exalted him, God has blessed him, God has given him everything that has planned for him to have, but it took the struggle that he went through. He also said this, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. Notice, he says this, notice that you haven't resisted to the point of giving your own life. Always consider this in every struggle that you feel like is getting the best of you. So here's the idea. Hopefully, you can see the purpose of the struggle that's going on in your life. Hopefully, as you, as you look at what's going on in your life right now, you're able to view that within the lens of what Christ has been through, you know, divinely dealing with things. We deal with things, and then we understand that God is taking us through our struggle in order to get us to whatever he has for us. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today, and thank you, Lord, as we, as we dive into this last message. I pray, Lord, that you will 
open up our hearts and minds to receive what you want to say to us. And also, Lord, change and confront us in areas that we need it the most. In Christ's name. And everybody said, look at your neighbor and say, it's all going to get better from here. Whatever's going on in your life, maybe it's peaches and cream, it's going to get better. I'm praying that on your life. No matter how, where your life is, it's going to get better. Today, if you're going through something, I think I can help you. I think I can help you because I've been through a lot of things in my life. If you were to sit down and uh, let me just share with you some of the things that have happened in my life for the decades that I've been alive, it would probably shock you that I, as a pastor, who people think that I have this you know, direct line with God, that you know he's a pastor, well, he's closer to God, then that's, that's not necessarily the case. I'm a man, and I deal with things, and I have struggles, and I have things that, that, that I've been through in my life. But I think that... I think that I have uniquely gone through some things as a result of it could be decisions, but it could also be just because just that, that, that's the way life is. At any rate, God has allowed me to suffer some things and go through some things, whether it be, whether it be family situations, whether it be loss of loved ones, whether it be separations from families and, and relationships or death. Uh, I've started over a couple of times in my life. I'm about to start a brand new season in my life, but nothing comes close to the life lessons that I have learned while being a pastor. Really, nothing has come close to that. I have been in ministry, I've been in some kind of ministry since I was 13 years old. I was a, an assistant youth leader. I, was, I actually started preaching when I was seven years old, and, and they called it junior church. I, I had to stand on something to, to, you know, over the pulpit. And if you can imagine, in those days, we wore suits when we were seven years old to church. I, I started preaching at that age and preaching when I was in youth and, and then, you know, I, I was an assistant, then a youth leader, then a, a state youth leader. And then, you know, but nothing has prepared me and nothing has taught me more about life than for the two or three decades that I've been pastoring. Not just because I've learned a lot from, from my life, but also because I have walked through seasons of life with people. I've been through some of people's worst times and some of their best times from, from countless and also different ranges of, of, of lives of people. And that's given me a lot of experience, even to the extent that, that I can sit down with people and I can listen to what they're talking about and think to myself, I know exactly where this is going. I can tell, the, I can tell you where this guy is going to be in a year. I can tell you where this marriage is going to be in a year. And it's not because I'm insightful and God has given me you know, discernment. It's not about that. It's just because... So much experience with so many people has taught me and made me relatable to people and helped me understand some things about people. And all that being said, all that being said, I relate to people most through my struggles. Not, not my experience, but my struggles. The things that I'm transparent with, when I talk to people about the things that I've been through, it relates to people and it connects with them more than any success or more than any experience. The way it works if, is... Here's the deal. If people haven't been through anything, you really can't relate to them. Are you with me? If, if, you've, if you've never been through anything, it's hard to talk to me about my struggle that, that, that I've been through. Struggles is how you relate to people. This is why the Bible says that we are to confess our faults to one another. It's not just so you can get forgiveness and healing, but it's also because when you confess your faults to someone, it helps them. Well, if you're going through this, then I can get through it. Are you with me? That, that, that's why we confess our faults. Here's the deal. You're most helpful when you share your struggles. You're more helpful than any other time. We celebrate you in your successes, but we relate to you in your struggles. 
So, so that's, that's kind of the idea. The, the idea is that, that, that you know, I, I believe that through my struggles, I'm actually able to help people through my struggles more than my successes. Because here's the deal. If you've never been through anything, I probably can't help you. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. If you've never been through you know, good for you. Good for you if you've never suffered in someone. Good for you. I'm glad. If, but really, I, I can't help. You, you need to go to a church where they got like the perfect pastor and the perfect family and all that. That, that might help you a little bit more. And I'm not being, I'm not being uh, sarcastic. I'm serious. But if you've never been through anything, I help people the most. The, most of the time, I help people mostly when they've been through something in life simply because of what God has allowed me to go through. Now, we looked at the struggles of Jesus. Today, I want to look at somebody, you know, you, you look at the, the struggles that Jesus had, and you think, even at the end of that, you think, well, you know, that is Jesus. That's what we say. We say, well, you know, look to Jesus, the finisher of our faith. Yeah, but that's Jesus. Well, Jesus did this, and he did that. Yeah, well, well that's Jesus. He, I mean, you can do a whole lot if people see you actually walk on water. You can, you can get a pretty good crowd after that. You know what I'm saying? So, that's, so that, that's what I was thinking about the struggle. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to take you into the life of a man in the Old Testament and talk to you about his struggles on this last message on struggle. His name is Jacob, and his story is in Genesis, the 25th chapter. That's where it begins, Genesis 25 and 21. Now, I'm going to bounce around a little bit. I think his story is about six chapters long. I don't have time to go in it. I don't have time to read it. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to bounce around, but I strongly recommend that after I preach this message that you go home and read the story of Jacob because it'll relate a little bit more and it'll come to life just a little bit more. Genesis 25 and 21 says this, Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife. Isaac was Jacob's father. He pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. And the Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebekah became pregnant with twins, but the two children struggled within her womb struggled with each other within her womb. So she went to the Lord, which means that she probably went to a prophet, and he spoke to her, God spoke to, the, to her through the prophet. And she said, why is this happening to me? And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Get that, get this. The contractions in her body haven't even started and God is talking to her about rival nations when they get older. That, that, I mean, as we talk about Jacob and the struggle that he went through, we see that this happened even before he was born. A lot of your struggle in your life had, had began to take place before you were born. I want you to realize that today. You were probably born in whatever you're dealing with today or whatever you're struggling with, a lot of it has happened before you were born. A lot of times what happens is, you know, we don't sign up for that. Jacob did not sign up for the, the rival nations. He didn't sign up, you know, that God was going to bring the nation of Israel through his lineage. He didn't sign up for all that. He just, you know, I just try to, I'm just trying to get into the world. And I want you to know that. A lot of times your struggle, is, and, and, and here's, here's where I want to land with that thought. Your struggle is not just about you. God has an eternal plan that he wants to fulfill, that, that you and I were a, a part of. The 24th verse says this, And when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair, like a fur coat, rur, a furry, red-haired kid, like a fur coat. They named him, therefore they named him Esau. If you look up Esau in the Hebrew, 
that translates to orangutan. Then the other, it doesn't translate to that. But can you imagine that he's like, she gave birth to orangutan, you know? Okay. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So the other guy comes out, they're laying down, and Esau, or, or, or Jacob reaches up and he, he grabs his brother's heel. So they named him Jacob. We'll talk about the meaning of that name in a second. Jacob, Isaac was 60 years old. Okay, get this, 27th verse. The boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament. He was, he was a little bit more laid back. He preferred to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now let's talk about Jacob. What does Jacob mean? If you look up his word, you look up his name in the Hebrew, it means subplant. Sub, subplant. In other words, what that means is to replace someone, to cheat somebody out of their position. That's what they named him. They named, basically what they named Jacob when he was born. Think about this for a second. They named Esau based on how he looked. That's how they would name kids in the Old Testament. But they named Jacob. Jacob just was born. And at some, you know, he was laying there beside his brother. And as he was laying there beside his brother, you know, he just reached up. All he did was be born and grab his brother's heel. And they looked at him and said, that little guy is a cheater. That little guy is a deceiver. Look at that. Look how he has his heel. And that affected him for the rest of his life. Another thing, he's labeled and judged as a kid just, just for being a baby and grabbing a hold of a heel, all right? And it affects him. Then we see favoritism from a father to an older brother. This Esau is more manly, skilled, hunter, athletic, probably a lot larger and gruffy like that. So not, not to mention he brings his dad home steak. So, you know, so, so Isaac, he loved and favored Esau. And then because probably Rebekah saw that, that uh, uh, Jacob was not favored as much, she favored him. And plus, Jacob could cook. So mama favored Jacob, father favored Esau. You know that many of our adult issues, and you're going to see, you, if you know the story, many of our adult issues are perpetuated from our upbringing. That's, that's, we all know that. But we can especially see it in this story. The sins of the parents can leave a mark on the kids that affect the kids, affect our kids for the rest of their lives. Our mistakes, our labels, our careless, mindless things that we do in front of them or say, them, say to them, they have major effects that affect our kids for the rest of our lives. And that's why. That's why it's important to be part of a church. And I, I'm going to say it, but this. I guess it's a plug. That's why you need to be a part of a church that has a great kids program. That, that, because a great, I don't care where it is, I would find a church that have, had a great kids program because a great church program will partner with kids to help them raise their kids. Thank God I did not have to raise my kids by myself. I've made too many mistakes. I fail too many times. Thank God for people that come. They're sitting in here with red shirts with shirts on that say Faith Co. Kids. Thank God for people that say, you know what, I'm going to make a difference in the next generation. I'm going to come down. I'm going to serve a couple hours on a weekend. Think about somebody that would do that. And I, I, I became single 
Eight years ago, my son was 13 years old. I don't know where he would be had it not been for a church filled with people that wrapped around him. Had it not been for Faith Coast students that wrapped around him and helped him. I mean, you, you think that, man, he just, you think that, you know, God did some great things in his life. He's just a good kid. I'm telling you, he's crazy. He's loud. He's emotional. He's tough. He was the toughest kid I had to raise. But thank God, because a, 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 a church partnered with me to help me raise it. And I made all kinds of mistakes. And I will continue to make state mistakes as a father. But thank God for a, a, a kid's ministry that wraps around and partners with parents. You believe that same man? Jacob's upbringing within his family led him into another type of struggle. One thing leads to another. And over this process leads you to a path of life. The other struggle was sin. Genesis 25 and 29 says, One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived from the wilderness, and he was exhausted and hungry, and Esau said to Jacob, Hey, give me some of that red stew. 31st verse says, All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Jacob became pretty skilled in his deception. This thing that he had grown up believing about himself, I'm going to cover that in a second, he'd become pretty skilled, and he figured out the weakness of his brother and put together a plan to trick him out of something that he wanted. Here's the deal. You know what sin is? Sin is simply disobedient behavior. It's not just disobedience. It's disobedient behavior. Now, we all are tempted to sin. Behaving, uh, sin is behaving in an opposing way of what the Lord has instructed. We all struggle with being tempted. There's nothing wrong with being tempted. There's nothing wrong with, with our minds being, you know, trying to be drawn away to be tempted. But acting on the temptation, that's when it becomes sin. You might be tempted to live a certain way. You might uh, be tempted to live an alternate lifestyle, sexual immorality. Maybe you might be tempted uh, uh, for lying or cheating. We all have struggles. You have struggles that I don't deal with. I have struggles that you don't deal with. However, what makes it sin is acting on the temptation. Sin, listen to me, don't ever forget this. Sin, no matter what it is, is a behavioral issue. All right? It's a behavioral issue. It begins in the mind. It begins with thoughts, but sin is a behavioral issue. Jacob started acting on his sinful thoughts and his plans and what he was. He started acting on that even to the extent that not only did he deceive his brother, but he deceived his father out of blessing him. I mean, think about this plan and his strategy. He had some help from his mother, but he wanted what his brother had so much that he deceived his brother and he deceived his father out of what is called the first, uh, the, the firstborn rights, which is a double inheritance, and also you become the leader of the family. So he cheated that. Here's the deal. Jacob was not born a cheater. He was not born sneaky. He was not born a conniver. He was not, uh, he was not born a sinful little man. He was given a name that was not correct or he was given a name that was not accurate about himself and he believed it you see what happens is the enemy will figure out a way to draw out of you what you're tempted to do and how he does that a lot of times is he will have somebody speak something to you or over you to draw that out of you are you with me see what a lot of times there's a struggle on the inside of us I mean, think about what you wrestle with. There's something on the inside of you that lays dormant 
And what happens is somebody will introduce you to that. The devil will make sure that somebody introduces you, opens up the door. Maybe you have the potential to to be a deceiver like this. and, And maybe somebody begins to speak that over you when you're young. We have to be careful what we let people say to us. Because once you begin to hear something over and over. And that's why we got to be careful what we say to our kids. You're nothing but a. Or you're acting just like a, hey, you need to be careful about that because when we speak that, what happens is eventually somebody begins to believe it. And it could have not been true, but it has opened up a door. You got to be careful what you allow people to speak over you. You got to be careful what you hear constantly because, number one, you begin to believe it. And after you believe it for so long, then you begin to behave it. And after, you know, you believe it, then you behave it, and that's when you become it. Jacob was not born a cheat. They named him that, and every time they said, hey, Jacob, come here, they were basically saying, hey, cheater, come here. Hey, liar, deceiver, come here. He heard that for years until he believed it, and then he behaved like it, and then he became that way. Listen to me, nobody who ever got involved in sin, who, who lives a self-destructive life, nobody ever aspired to be that. It happened through a process. People, you know, nobody, nobody plans out as a five-year-old say, I can't wait to grow up and, and, and go to prison. No, they, they become this over a process. You know what, no young lady ever said, you know, I, I can't wait to grow up and be, get involved in prostitution. Or I can't wait to get up to grow up and and get involved in in drug abuse. What happens is people believe something, they behave it, and then they become it. Jacob became what had been spoken over him for years, and when it becomes, and that's when it becomes a struggle. That's why you don't hang around people that speak down to you. Listen, this is critical, especially people that you love, because you value the people. That you love. So people, don't you dare let somebody you love speak negative words about you or speak down to you. Well, you're nothing but a whole, let let me just stop you right there. Well, all you do, hey, let me just kind of stop you right there. You don't define me. My Lord defines me. You don't let people, don't let anybody speak down to you, especially people that love you because... It can lead to a struggle. Jacob became a sinful cheater through a process, and it became a struggle to him. He struggled with his upbringing or his family. He struggled with sin, and then he struggled. This is something more practical. He struggled with his way of life or with his work. Now, I thought about, you know, this isn't that insightful or spiritual, but think about this for a second because this is something that we deal with. In Genesis 31 and 41, what happened was Jacob moves and spends 20 years with his father-in-law, who is Laban. And after he spends 20 years with him, he finally says to him, as he's leaving, he finally says to him and gets some, th- gets some things off of his chest. And listen to what he says. He says, for 20 years, I slaved in your house. I worked for 14 years earning your daughters. And then six more years for your flock. And you changed my wages 10 times. In fact, if the God of my father had not been on my side... The God of Abraham, that fearsome God of Isaac, you would have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen your abuse and my hard work. Jacob worked for Laban for 20 years, as he said. What happened was, if you don't know the story, after he runs away from home, he deceives his brother and his father, he runs away from home. 
I believe Laban is Rebekah's brother. So he's, he, he, he gets there and he falls for Rachel. And Rachel is this beautiful daughter of Laban and he doesn't have an endowment. He doesn't, back then you had to earn the right uh, and you had to like, give the father-in-law money, you know, an endowment or whatever. But you had to earn the right. You couldn't just say, hey, we're in love, we're going to get married. No, you had, to, you had to earn that right for her hand. So he strikes this deal with Laban and says, he strikes a deal with the wrong guy. You know, you can't con a con, if you will. I'll tell you what I'll do since I don't have anything to offer you or offer her. I will work for seven years for free for your daughter. And Laban says, okay, seven years it is. So he works for seven years, and the scripture says that it just flew by because he was so in love with Rachel and couldn't wait to marry her. And then seven years goes by, and then it's the night of the, the wedding, and, uh, you know, she has a veil over her face, and they get married, and they go, and they consummate the marriage. Jacob wakes up the next day, and it's not Rachel, but it's the other sister with a good personality. You know what I'm saying? And he's like, what in the world? So he runs back to Laban, and he says, what did you do? You gave me Leah. I'm, this is, and, 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 and Laban plays dumb, and he's like, oh, you need to be more specific. Oh, this is bad. What are we going to do? And Jacob speaks up and says, I'll work another seven years for Rachel. So he works another seven years. Then he works another six years because he has nothing. And he, and he grows his, 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 his herd in order to walk. Then he, he leaves. You know, the number one reason why couples fight is over finances. This is why this matters. There is a struggle in people's home today because of how we live and how we get there. Uh, let me ask you something. Jacob was not, Jacob was, he, he, this wasn't a deal where he, this was his dream job. This was his have-to job. This was his have-to job, and it was a struggle because he had no other options. He had no other options but Laban. Here's a, he, had, he had two wives, a dozen kids, and was at a dead-end job. I mean, however bad, whatever your struggle is, guys, Whatever you, maybe you're thinking, man, I got a bunch of kids and, and I'm on a dead end. Whatever you're struggling, at least you don't have two wives, right? <laughs> and and let, let me just pause right there. This was not ever God's plan for marriage. God allowed it in the Old Testament because that's what people did. But uh, you know, people made the best. But it was it never went well if you read about it. This was not God's plan. This is not our faith. We don't believe this. This was something that God allowed in the Old Testament. This is, but this is what was going on in his life. Jacob wanted to leave, but he couldn't because he didn't have the resources. What changes would you make in your life? What are you struggling with in your resources in your finances? What changes would you make if you just had the resources to do it? It's a struggle. Finances are, are a struggle. That's exactly what was going on. Um, he, he felt trapped, and he was tied to a way of life. And finally, his struggle with, and all of this finally took him to his final struggle, and that was his, his struggle with God. Jacob struggled with God. Now, God told Jacob, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to load up your family, load up everything you have, and I want you to go home. I'm going to bless you in your new home, but I want you to, I want you to go home. And I believe that God wanted to, him to go home and he wanted to bless him, but I also believe that he wanted him to face what he had done to his father and to his brother. 
You believe that? I believe God works that way. The last conversation that he had with his brother was that cheat conversation. And, and word got back to Esau of what he did, and Esau made plans to kill Jacob. And that's why Jacob left. He ran for his life. He cheated his father. His father said, go and be blessed. But, but he left. With a, you know, everybody had a bad taste in their mouth because of what Jacob did. I believe that God sent Jacob home because he wanted to bless him, but also because what he, he wanted him to face the wrong that he had done to others. The New Testament actually talks about this. This was not something that was necessarily practiced in the Old Testament. It was more of a, an eye for an eye kind of a thing. It was more of a how you relate to God kind of thing. But in the New Testament, Jesus said, when you come to the temple, basically it's something like this, when you come to the church and you worship and you bring your offering, but you know that you've offended somebody or somebody has something against you, what, is, what did he say to do? Leave your offering on the altar before you get right with God and go home and whoever you've offended, whoever you've wronged, you get right with the people around you. I think we miss this. A lot of times we get right with God, but we forget about getting right with the people around us. Well, you don't, know, you don't understand, Travis. I've done some pretty bad things in my past life. I can't do any. You know what? I gave my life to Christ, and that's all in my past, and God's not concerned with my past. I can't do anything about my past. Oh, really? You can take back that 65-inch flat screen that you stole from your cousin. You can do that, can't you? You can, you can, take, back, uh, uh, you can take back that money that you stole from your cousin out of, out of her dresser drawer. You can take back that. In fact... You can say you're sorry. We can say we're sorry. I've had to do that before. It's some, some things that I've done wrong. A lot of times we think, well, I'm getting right with God. But I'm telling you, getting right with God means first getting right with the people around you. And that's something that we ignore a lot of times. And here's what happens. When we just learn to say I'm sorry for what we've done, even in our past life, when you learn to say you're sorry, what happens is the people that you apologize to, they really believe that you're saved. Amen? So that's the deal. Getting right with God means getting right with the people around you. And that's what I believe that God was doing in his life. So Esau hears that Jacob is coming home. And God has greatly blessed Esau. So when Esau hears that Jacob is coming home, he loads up 600 warriors. He's got an army. That's how blessed he is. And he heads out to meet Jacob. And this gets back to Jacob. And Jacob is very much afraid because he thinks that he's going to die. The last conversation I had with my brother was, I'm going to kill you. In Genesis 32 and 9, it says, then Jacob prayed, oh God, listen to how serious this is. Oh God of my grandfather Abraham. He's reminding God, you know, that he's one of the patriarchs, basically. Oh God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac. Oh Lord, you told me. Return to your own land, to your relatives, and you promise me that I will treat you kindly. Jacob was struggling with facing his brother. He was uncertain of the outcome. Have you ever felt that you were out on a limb obeying God about something? Have you ever felt like God called you to do something, but you were out on a limb, and, and it's kind of like, God, you told me to do this. Have you ever been in a situation like that where, where, where I mean, you were praying about something, and what you, what, what you, you, you so need to get a hold of God that you began to remind God of his own word. <laughs> I mean, that's, inter that, that's interesting. God, you told me. Have you ever been praying and said, God, your word says this, as if God doesn't know what his word says? You know why we do that? Sometimes we need to remind God of his word for our sakes. That's more about you. That's more about me. 
Sometimes I need to, sometimes I need to be reminded of what God's, God, this is what you said, and this is what I believe. God hasn't left you. God hasn't abandoned you. God hasn't forgotten about you. You're still in God's plan. Genesis 32 and 24 says, Then Jacob was left alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Then the man saw that he would not win. When he saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. Then he, then he said, let me go. Or the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. I got to get out of here. But Jacob said, oh, no, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This passage has always been a mystery to me. In fact, it's a mystery to everybody. Nobody knows exactly why and how this went down. So I'm going to try to explain as much of this as I can. I believe that it was an act of desperation. I mean, his whole life, Jacob's whole life came, comes down to this moment. All of his years of living comes down to this moment. And whatever happens, yes, tomorrow would determine what would happen for the rest of his life. He didn't know whether he was going to die or live. Let me ask you something. What if you could, what if you could sit down with God face to face? Now, what we believe is this is actually an angel or a messenger of God. I'm going to read that here in just a second. But what if you could sit down with God and talk to him face to face? I mean, we pray. We believe God speaks through people sometimes to us, and we, we believe God speaks through his word. But what if you could actually sit down with somebody that was a messenger of God? That's what was going on at this critical moment in Jacob's life. I mean, this was the moment. His whole life came, comes down to this moment. And I believe at this moment he, he, he was expressing to God all the things that have, had ever happened to him, all the things that he blamed God for, all the times that he felt alone, all of his abandonment issues, all the times he felt forgotten, cheated, or mistreated. For the first time, he was meeting God face to face with all of his issues. And what I believe is that he didn't get the answer that he wanted, and the angel was about to leave, so in an act of a desperation, he jumped on a back he jumped the angel I don't know but the Bible says that they wrestled all night of course he couldn't overcome an angel it would be more like your son wrestles with you you're kind of tolerating his wrestling moves you know what I'm saying so he's wrestling with him but he's also I believe he's letting him work his struggles out with God that everything that has ever happened to him in all of his frustration, he's wrestling this angel, knowing that it doesn't, it doesn't matter if I win, it doesn't matter if, I'm die, I, I, if, I'm, if I die over this situation. He's taking all of his frustrations out on God in a physical form. Jacob, finally, instead of struggling with all of his issues, he struggled with God over his issues. That's where our struggle needs to end. We're struggling with our spouse. We're struggling with our kids. We're struggling with, with our relationships. We're struggling at our job. We're struggling at all these areas in our life. But your struggle is with God. And if you work out your struggle with God, it'll work out every issue in your life and every other struggle in your life. That's what was going on. Could it be that your struggle is in vain because you're struggling with people instead of struggling with God? Genesis 32 and 26. Let me go back to this. He said, let me go for dawn's breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until I get from you what I came here for. You got to bless me. I don't know what tomorrow's going to be like. You, I, I need more from you than this. So the angel looked at him. And God spoke to that angel and said, what is your name? And he says, my name's Jacob. He says, your name will no longer be called Jacob. 
From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men, and you have won. He took him all the way back to the beginning where everything started. In order to take care of what was going on in his life, he had to go all the way back to the beginning of how it went down. And he addressed the major issue that caused every other issue, every other struggle in his life. And he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning, and I'm going to rename you. You have been called cheater. You have been called, you have been called deceiver. But I'm going to change this. He didn't have to overcome the angel. He just had to overcome his struggle through the angel. Jacob, you're no longer, you no longer need to struggle with the approval of your father. You are who I say that you are, and I call you a fighter. That's what... That, that, that's, what, that, that's what Israel means. It means contender. It means fighter. It means overcomer, and it means winner. Jacob, you're a fighter, and you are a winner. You no longer need to cheat to win because I call you winner. You no longer have to struggle with people to be blessed because I call you blessed. Stop struggling with people. Stop struggling with issues. Your struggle is with me. Let me close with this. Hosea 12 and 3 says this. Even in the womb, Jacob struggled with his brother. When he became a man, he even fought with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and won. He wept and pleaded for a blessing from God. And there at Bethel, he met God. That's what Bethel means, place of God. Jacob named this place. There at Bethel, he met God face to face. And God spoke to him. You know, at some point in your life, when you're going through your greatest struggle, you got to meet God. It might not be the way Jacob did, but you got to meet God with your struggle. And here's what happens in Matthew 11:28. 28. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Instead of struggle, instead of anxiety, instead of turmoil, you find rest. Let me ask you something. What are you struggling with today that you need to give to God so you can truly find rest in God? Think about that as we pray today. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today. And thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. Thank you, Lord, for your word and your spirit that we have encountered Speak to people wherever we are today. Whatever we're going through, speak to people today. In the name of Jesus. As your heads are bowed, maybe God is speaking to you. Let me ask you something. What is God saying to you right now? What is he saying to you? Is he saying, hey, your struggle is with me? Is he saying, hey, you need to let go of that struggle with your spouse? You need to let go of that struggle or that addiction or whatever's going on. Your struggle is with me. Whatever God's saying to you right now, I want you to answer yes and let God work his work in your life. This is not about whether or not you live for God. This is just about, this is just about what's going on in your life. I'm talking to Christians right now. So let me pray with you. If you're seated next to somebody you love or you're close to, take that person by the hand. There's power in praying for people. If you're not going through something, pray for that person next to you. Maybe that person's going through something. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. Thank you, Lord for caring enough about us to confront us with what we're struggling. Speak to people today. Lord, change us. And whatever the struggle is, 
Help us to give it to you today. In the name of Jesus, if you've received that, say amen. If you continue to bow your heads, I want to pray one more prayer just quickly. I don't know if there's anybody here that maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe he's not Lord and Savior of your life, but I want to pray that prayer too. If you don't know the Lord, your struggle is with finding Christ. So maybe you're here and you don't know the Lord. I'd like to lead you in a prayer with nobody looking around. If you can say, Travis, that's me. If you'll pray that prayer today, I want to come home to Christ. I won't embarrass you. I won't ask you to stand. I won't ask you to come down here. I just want to pray a prayer just like we prayed. But I'd like to know if I'm praying for people today. If you can say, Travis, I don't know Christ. Or I walked away from God at some point in my life. And I want to rededicate my life to Christ. Whatever the case may be, you want to leave here knowing that you're right with the Lord. Real quickly, put your hand up and put it down so I know I'm praying for people. Can anybody say that? That's me, Travis. I'm going to give my life to Christ today. And if you'll pray, I'm going to pray with you right now. I'll just wait a few moments. Then I'll move on. So if you're serious, let me know and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for bringing us here. I hope we all live for you and serve you. If we don't, may we come to a place where we will surrender our lives to you in the name of Jesus. And thank you, Lord, Lord, for being with us, not for just delivering us from our struggle, Lord, but for being with us and taking us through the struggle so we can arrive to what you've called us to. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen.